Thank you for coming and practicing together. We're using a text from the Shobo Genzo from the writings of Dogen Zenji for this Ango period. It's called Bodhisattva Shishobo, the four ways a Bodhisattva acts to benefit human beings. We pick this uh, text as part of our commitment to develop and expand and deepen lay practice. As you know, in America, most practitioners are lay practitioners. They're not ordained. And this is true in all of the various um, flavors of Buddhism, schools of Buddhism in America. It's one of the unusual aspects of Buddhism in the West. We picked this text because it's particularly applicable to lay people. The four ways that a bodhisattva can act to benefit human beings. And I talked last week about what a bodhisattva is. The notion of a bodhisattva is a development of Mahayana Buddhism. So the earliest uh, Buddhism at the time of the Buddha we now incorrectly call Theravadan Buddhism because that's the surviving school from that time. There were many schools. The Bodhisattva ideal arose um, several hundred years after the time of the Buddha, and it was really a revolution. It was a um, empowerment of lay practice that anyone, not just a monk who practiced in a monastery and practice full-time for many, many years uh, towards the goal of enlightenment, enlightenment. But anyone, anyone in any circumstance could become enlightened because, and this was the foundational change, Buddha nature pervades the whole universe existing right here now in each one of us. Every being, every creation is a manifestation of this eminence, this Buddha nature. So it's not transcendent, to use theological terms. Transcendent means it's somewhere way, way up there and unattainable, and occasionally it speaks to us, maybe through an intermediary like a priest or a, or a monk or someone who's highly trained. But the Mahayana Buddhism that we practice, the Zen school is part of, is a practice of imminence, meaning right here, right now. It's palpable, it's touchable, it's hearable, it's tasteable. It's circulating within us closer than each blood cell in our bloodstream, this Buddha nature. And so it's a matter of uncovering it, of experiencing what's already ours, not of finding something that's far away and difficult to ever find. It's not that it's easy to uncover. It takes quite a bit of diligent and sincere practice and sustained practice. Practice that isn't interrupted for long periods of time. Sometimes it goes underground. Some people practice when they're young and then they get involved in a life of um, having business concerns, work concerns, a family and their formal practice goes underground for a while, but then it reemerges. So this practice 
this desire to reveal our Buddha nature seems to go underground, but it never, it never disappears. It's always there nagging us with these questions, these life or death questions. What is my life about? What happens after we die? What is the purpose of my life? Sometimes our life seems so purposeless. We're born and then we squeak and ingest things and excrete things and run around creating things that just disappear and bump into other people and make messes and then make a few nice things and then we die. And what's the purpose? So that question, that question is the engine that keeps our practice going even when our external life doesn't reflect it. It's always moving forward through that kind of question. I'm going to read the first paragraph of this text that we're studying for Ango. This is the translation of uh, Nishiyama and Stevens. This was the first translation of the Shobogenzo in English, and it was the only one that was available to us for a long time when I was first practicing. And so it's very dear to me, and it's still my favorite, even though the scholars say that the translation at points is not completely accurate. Many of, many of the points, I think, are closest to the spirit of what Dogen Zenji was trying to say to us. The four ways a bodhisattva acts to benefit human beings are fuse, almsgiving, aigo, loving words, rigyo, beneficial actions, doji, identification with the beings that are to be helped. The first is fuse. Fuse means futon which is not to covet or be greedy, not to flatter, adulate, nor curry favor. Even a king who controls the whole world must have futon if he wishes to propagate the right way. Only by the virtue of futon can be built a peaceful world. The virtue of futon is like the virtue we grant to jewels and to people we do not know without greed or malice. It is the same as offering a flower that blooms in the far mountains to Buddha or offering precious jewels or a previous life to a sentient being. We possess in our original nature the virtue of giving alms, spiritually or materially, in each moment. Although in principle nothing belongs to self, we can give alms. It is of no concern whether they are large or small. The important point is whether they can be beneficial to others. The merit of almsgiving itself bears fruit. So there are different places where the, in the different translations where the paragraph ends. Um, and I'm going to end it there because there are, there's so much in just this one paragraph. Fuse means not to covet or be greedy, not to flatter, adulate, nor curry favor. Even a king who controls the whole world must have futon if he wishes to propagandize the right way. Only by the virtue of futon can he build a peaceful world. So this is a direct instruction to us that if we want to be at peace in ourselves and if we want to build a peaceful world, we have to practice giving. We have to practice generosity. In fact, the Buddha's instruction about attaining 
awakening, attaining enlightenment, becoming awakened, uncovering our own Buddha nature, was that the primary way to do this was through generosity. So we're always concerned about how to bring about peace in the world. Several of us were just at the opening of the exhibit from the Atomic Bomb Museums in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, an exhibit at Portland State, which will be there for the whole month, and I really urge you to go and see it. It's in Smith Hall up on the second floor. And it's very stunning. It's something that everyone in the world, especially all the world leaders, should see, to see the kind of devastation that nuclear weapons can create. And I think if people saw that, they would never contemplate using nuclear weapons again and talk to people who would survive that devastation. So you come away from that with a renewed commitment to creating a peaceful world, and yet we have to face the inevitability of war and conflict. So how do we build a peaceful world? We have to begin with ourselves. And Dogen Zenji is giving us a very specific instruction about how to build a peaceful world, beginning with ourselves, with our own cultivation of generosity, giving away. I want to practice together, just for a moment, a very simple exercise that has to do with giving away, receiving freely and giving freely. In this translation, um, in one of the translations, not this one, but another one, uh, Fuse is translated as free giving, freely giving. So just stay seated where you are, close your eyes, and first imagine that when you breathe in, you are breathing in the power of all of the creations in the world. So you could reach your awareness out to the rain, for example. How much energy is carried by the rain, by the rain clouds? Or you can feel the energy in the radiators right now, the energy in all the warm bodies in this room, the energy in this city of all the cars and the people. The city is pulsing always with energy, day and night. So as you breathe in, you can breathe in, freely breathe in that energy. It's given to you. It nourishes you, and then you freely breathe it all back out again. Give it away. So aware of this tremendous storehouse of energy that's always around us and always available to us on the in-breath, Breathe it in. On the out-breath, breathe it back out. Freely received, it nourishes us on the in-breath, spreads to all of the cells in our body, and then is breathed back out, freely given back.
aware of the energy of mountains, rivers, oceans, volcanoes. All of it is available to us. Breathe it in. Breathe it back out. This is the kind of freely giving that Dogen Zenji is talking about, where nothing sticks. It flows through us and back out. The rational mind says, oh, well, if I breathe in energy, if I take in energy, some of it's got to stick here, some of it's got to stay here, I've got to use it. But we're not talking about that kind of energy. Buddha nature is not diminished by its expression in our body, by us using it, by us arising in the morning with it, moving around through it, eating it, excreting it, breathing it in and out. It does not change. It is eternal. It does not diminish by one atom. When we die, it does not increase by one atom when we are born. So we can freely breathe it in, use it, and breathe it back out so that all beings can use it. This is the kind of free giving that Dogen Zenji is talking about. And this in itself builds a peaceful world. It's when we covet, when we begin to be greedy, when we want something from someone or something. Coveting and being greedy is wanting something. Flattering, adulating, or currying favor is wanting someone to come over to our side, to favor us, to see us as special. So when we don't want anything, because we're not worried that this is scarce, that anything is scarce, when we know that it freely flows in and flows out, that's free giving. And that's the beginning of a peaceful world. Wars always involve somebody wanting something that they think is scarce or that might be taken away from them. The virtue of Fruton is like the virtue we grant to jewels and to people we do not know. That's an amazing line. Do we grant virtue to people we do not know? We grant virtue to jewels. That's why we love jewels. Last year we went to the Smithsonian and they have a whole hall of jewels. Some gigantic glowing jewels, some that glow in the dark. It's a favorite hall for people to go to. People love jewels. We love jewels because... They speak to us of Buddha nature. If you look deeply into anything that people love and and collect, it has some aspect of Buddha nature. So jewels have this purity and this inner light that speaks to us of our Buddha nature. We grant virtue to jewels. We value them. In themselves, they're not valuable. They're just atoms. Carbon iron, selenium, impurities. 
those atoms rearranged in another way, we wouldn't value. But when they appear as a jewel, we value them and we grant them virtue in themselves. And Dogen Zenji says, like the virtue we grant to jewels and people we do not know. So we are willing sometimes to grant virtue to people we do not know. As soon as we know them, we put them in a category, right? Oh, they're good or they're bad. I like them or I don't like them. But when we don't know them, we, we're willing to grant them some of the same kind of virtue that we grant to jewels. So could we see everyone in that way? And that, he says, is an aspect of free giving. Freely giving, in Buddhist terms, you might say not knowing, in Zen terms. Not knowing, not judging. Valuing each person like a jewel. If Buddha nature is a jewel, then each person is a facet on this jewel of millions of facets. In each person's life, if we look into each person's life, it's like looking into the jewel through a different facet. Each one with its own virtue. It is the same as offering a flower that blooms in the far mountains to Buddha or offering precious jewels or a previous life to a sentient being. This is also a beautiful line to offer the flowers that we see in the distant mountains to the Buddha. We always think, well, we have to buy some flowers and put them on the altar and offer them to the Buddha. But if we give everything away, everything that we see, everything that we touch, everything that we hear, we give away freely, just like we were breathing in and out, then everything is a continuous gift to us and from us. We offer our own Buddha nature when we bow to the Buddha, offering the Buddha to the Buddha. A gift freely given and given away. We possess in our original nature the virtue of giving alms, spiritually or materially in each moment. So this is the two kinds of gifts, material gifts. Usually we think of gifts as material gifts, especially as the holiday seasons approach. We think of a gift that can be put in in a box and wrapped up with paper and tape and tied with ribbon and put under a tree or handed out at Hanukkah or Kwanzaa time. So we think of giving material things. But the greatest gift is the spiritual gift, the gift of the Dharma. The gift that gradually brings us to a place of not being afraid. If no one is afraid, then how could war start? If no one covets anything, if no one is afraid, how could war start? We think that bringing about peace is so complicated, but a few months ago I was at a conference and was speaking with a woman who is a Buddhist, and she was saying, you know, if everyone just kept the precepts, think what a world this would be, what kind of world this would be. It's not so hard if anyone, if everyone just kept the first five precepts. The world would be utterly transformed. And one of the precepts is not to be greedy, not to covet, not to think that things are scarce, 
especially in this country where we are so rich. We possess in our original nature the virtue of giving alms in each moment. Spiritual alms or material alms in each moment. So this means with every breath. It doesn't mean when we decide, oh, I'll give the homeless person a dollar. In each moment. When we're not holding on to I, me, and mine. I am here and this belongs to me and you over there and that belongs to you. How quickly we do that. How quickly we sit down on a random cushion and then if we get up and go around for kinhin and we come back and somebody is sitting on it, that's my cushion. It became my cushion for tonight, but it's not my cushion. So here's another exercise. Close your eyes. And think of every pen, P-E-N, ballpoint pen or fountain pen, it doesn't matter, every pen that has come towards you, been handled by you, and disappeared from your life, flown through your life, flowed through your life. Now think of all the salt, the salt that has entered your mouth and been helpful in your body and then been excreted through sweat, through urine, through feces. So become aware of this flow of salt into your body and out of your body. Now look at your baby clothes, the clothes that people put on you when you were a baby. Let's say your diapers. Take a look at your diapers. Where are they now? Are your diapers something you want to hold on to? We possess in our original nature the virtue of giving alms, although in principle nothing belongs to self, we can give alms. We possess in our original nature the virtue of giving alms. This means that we are already generous. It's part of our original nature. So we can relax. We don't have to worry about somehow generosity is out here and I've got to bring it into my my being incorporated in my being. It's already incorporated in our being. We just have to reveal it. We have to cultivate it. Learn how to manifest it. So it's like musical talent. Some people have musical ability. But it will lie there latent forever unless their mother forces them to have piano lessons, which many people resent until they learn to play the piano and then they're delighted that they learn to play the piano. So this is the same, this talent, this skill, this ability, this amazing capacity for generosity. 
is uniform, though. It's not unequally distributed, like maybe musical talent is. It's present in all of us, but only when we bring it out and cultivate it by giving in every moment, with every breath, with every distant flower on the mountain, with every molecule of salt. Anytime we do that, anytime we become aware of that, we are uncovering our generous nature. Although in principle nothing belongs to self, we can give alms. It is of no concern whether they are large or small. So nothing belongs to ourself. If you do that same meditation we just did, you realize those pens never belong to you. The salt never belonged to you. The diapers belong to you for like that, and then they're gone. Where are they? They're back in the earth. They're manifesting as all your all your poop is manifesting as new beings mm-hmm. already. Isn't that wonderful? So this is happening all of the time. We just have to not hold on, to give it away freely. Nothing belongs to self. We can give alms. So all the things that we think belong to us, cars, houses, apartments, clothing, gone, gone. Most of it before we die and definitely after we die. Even people's memory of who we are after 200 years, no one will remember who we are. So we are part of that flow. Just like the salt molecules, we are like a molecule in that flow that appears in this world, manifests in this body of this world right now, and then flows on and becomes many, many other things. So can we give our whole life? Can we receive our whole life and give away our whole life in that same way we've given away salt and given away our poop? It's a radical way to think. It has been freely given to us. Can we freely give it away? Although in principle nothing belongs to self, we can still give alms. It is of no concern whether they are large or small. The important point is whether they can be beneficial to others. The merit of almsgiving itself bears fruit. Large or small. Large or small. What can benefit others? Elsewhere, they, it's, there are some very simple things described that we can give. One is a smile. Even if we have nothing, we can give smiles. So close your eyes so you won't be embarrassed and smile. Can you feel what it gives to you to smile? So I would like to ask you to practice freely giving smiles this week. Very interesting practice. Give smiles to yourself, to your body, to your life circumstances, to your predicaments, and to those you meet.
It seems small, but it's the foundation of a peaceful world. Buddhas giving to Buddhas. Thank you.